Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Personalization Outbreak Podcast, Episode 24. This week, we'll be talking about the collective realization of a higher interconnectedness brought upon by the pandemic and how we could apply these notions to the transformation of higher education. Now, our guest today is Dr. Kaushal Chari. Kaushal is the Dean of the Sheldon B. Lubar School of Business at the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Now, in his role, Kaushal is leading a strategic path that emphasizes innovative and analytical thinking in both teaching and research. Now, perhaps this explains why Kaushal is an individual who is guided by strategic thinking when connecting with people. Now, together, we'll talk about the importance of providing options in higher education so that we don't put students into boxes that limit their individual growth and development. We'll also talk about the new trends in higher education, such as Netflix for learning and the potential challenges of an AI learning-based education. So before we get started, make sure that you hit the like button, share it with your colleagues and friends, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to ensure that you are up to date with our most recent content. I also encourage you to watch our Age of Personalization documentary series and follow us on social media. And finally, join the movement at ageofpersonalization.com. Let's get started. You are listening to Personalization Outbreak, a podcast about the collapse of traditional corporate standards in today's more personalized world. I'm Glenn Yopis. I'm a leadership strategist, author, contributor to Forbes, and founder of the Leadership in the Age of Personalization movement. On this show, I'm interviewing executives across multiple sectors to find out how the balance between standardization and personalization can exist. Kaushal, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Glenn. Uh, a pleasure to be here, and thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure, and I'm really happy that you're with us. I know that you have a lot of wisdom to offer, and I know we're going to have a lot of fun. So why is it that solving for the greater good is so relevant during these contentious times, Kaushal? It's even more relevant now. Uh, uh, the pandemic has really appended our lives significantly uh, when I look at some of our students. You know, last summer, uh, there were so many of our students who were not able to register for fall semester mm. because they had financial holds. And that was very troubling to me personally. Uh, and, uh, and so we made a lot of efforts to actually find uh, scholarship monies, we uh, raised money from private sources so that we could really make uh, some of these students who were not able to register to register for courses and, and have an education. So I guess it's uh, within me, uh, uh, the notion that uh, we need to do uh, whatever it takes to help uh, folks in need. So that's something innate in me. Well, I mean, when... As I've gotten to know you, it, it seems clear to me that you uh, believe in the following statement. And by the way, if you don't, please let us know. Uh, <laughs> is that success comes most to those who are surrounded by people who want their success to continue. 
other words, we can't do anything on our own. Uh, we need each other. And especially during these times, we need each other more than ever before. Any thoughts? You know, exactly. So there's a common saying, I think this is from Africa, Scott, uh, that it takes a village to raise a child. Uh, mm -hmm. And so uh, we all need to put in uh, all the effort uh, to, to make uh, someone succeed. You know, one cannot just by himself or herself uh, climb the success ladder. So I, I totally agree with that, uh, with that notion. Now, when I asked you a few questions, you know, kind of in, in yeah. prep for our discussion today, uh, one of your answers caught my attention, and I'd love for you to expand yeah. on it. And I'll give you my point of view. Uh, first. And the question was, where do you find your most authentic self? And your response was as follows. While having a morning cup of tea before starting work, when my mind is calm and fresh. Now, this was my interpretation, and I'd love for you to expand on yours. My interpretation was that without all the noise, we can be more of who we are. Absolutely, because, you know, the mind is not agitated. They're not, we don't have people around to judge, judge you uh, when we are, uh, you know, in, in familiar surroundings, in the, in the comforts of home, uh, in the presence of, fact, of family members. So that, that really helps uh, in, uh, in kind of uh, putting our guards down and expressing our feelings openly. And I think that's when I, I'm able to be very authentic. That's beautiful. And uh, it's inspiring. So what does inclusion look like to you? Kashal, what does inclusion look like to you and, and perhaps uh, the institution? Inclusion is very important to me personally and, and to my institution, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Uh, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee is a, access institution. It's a research one access institution. So we have a lot of first generation students, a lot of students of color. In fact, uh, the vision statement uh, that we have for the Lubar School of Business uh, is, is as follows. We want to be a great business school uh, where G stands for being globally engaged, R stands, to be, uh, stands for being relevant to our stakeholders, E stands for being entrepreneurial, a stands for being accessible to a diverse population of students. So access is really part of our DNA. And just to complete this, T stands for being transformative in the lives uh, of students and, 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 and companies, et cetera. So, so access is really a big part uh, of, of who we are. It's part of our DNA. And uh, we have a lot of students, you know, diverse students, as I mentioned. And so at University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, we make special efforts to make sure that we respect diverse point of views. Uh, we respect uh, students and faculty and employees uh, from different uh, uh, you know, uh, backgrounds uh, and different viewpoints. Uh, and so that's, that's the tradition and culture at University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. In fact, after the uh, events of last year, uh, last summer, uh, we made it very mandatory here for everyone to do a training on, on diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion. 
starting right from the chancellor all the way down. Each and every employee has to do this training. Uh, we all have implicit biases. Mm -hmm. And this training, uh, which I already took, really helped me uh, um, reflect on, on who I am as a person. And I thought I was pretty enlightened, you know, with these issues, but I still found some blind spots uh, in, in, in the way I thought uh, in my thinking. And, and this training really helped me to, to kind of at least uh, acknowledge that I, did, I had blind spots and I needed to work on these. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, and thank you for sharing your vulnerabilities. Um, you know, we're at a time now where uh, no one really knows who they are, <laughs> let alone uh, do they know uh, who they, uh, who their friends are or their colleagues are. I think we're, we're going through a time now where uh, everyone is trying to reintroduce themselves all over again. And, you know, the, the reason I asked the question is that uh, beyond the individual, uh, inclusion can mean so much more. And at a time where higher education is, is reinventing itself, it's not just understanding the people that we work with, not just understanding the students that we serve, but understanding how we can be more inclusive across sectors, across industries, so that we can co-design the path forward together. So on that note, when I share the following statement, what does it mean to you and why? And here's the statement. We need to co-design courses and experiential learning programs with large organizations and large employers. What does that mean to you? I, I, it means uh, that we should be partnering with companies and organizations uh, and, frankly, our customers uh, in creating our products and services. And uh, this resonates very well with me. Uh, in fact, uh, we went through uh, some curriculum changes. Uh, so we have uh, an Industry Connect program, uh, which we launched at the Lubar School of Business not too long ago, and where we would actually seek projects from companies and students work on these projects uh, and the students get paid for these projects. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the companies, they also benefit from this because they, they get some deliverable and they also have the opportunity to test drive these students for 15 weeks uh, mm. if they choose to make a full-time offer to them, employment offer. So, so we have been doing uh, these things. We have been engaging the uh, folks from the industry in, in, uh, in, as guest speakers. Uh, one of the most innovative things we have done recently is uh, involved uh, a representative from an industry uh, expert in, uh, in innovation and he is actually doing one week module uh, on, on innovation and design thinking across multiple sections of, uh, of our marketing course, uh, undergraduate marketing course, MBA course. So essentially we have an adjunct who's, who's not responsible for one course, but he's responsible for portions of multiple courses and sections. So, so that's an innovation. Well, in well, and that kind of brings us back to how everything is so interconnected. And I think that what this part of what this pandemic has taught us is that those things that we used to uh, see in a silo uh, must actually be uh, viewed as something that's part of the greater whole, where we begin to see the 
interconnectedness and interdependence of what have been historically looked at as disconnected parts. Any thoughts on that? Absolutely. So I believe one plus one is not two, it is three. And that happens when we leverage all the expertise that are, you know, hidden in the organization. If we can bring to bear and, and connect all this, stitch together all this, we can really uh, get one plus one is equal to three. And so I, it totally resonates with me. And uh, we have been breaking silos a lot uh, within the Lubar School and within the university as well. Uh, with, with the joint programs we do across uh, uh, university units and schools and across campuses as well. Uh, the University of Wisconsin system now is creating uh, online programs by taking picking courses, cherry picking courses from multiple universities in the system, hmm. uh, from multiple campuses in the system. So, so that really adds uh, to the, you know, it creates a lot of value uh, by if we were to be very interconnected, you know, interconnected within the college, interconnected within the campus, and interconnected across the system as well. So given that you have all of this experience with this, um, how would you advise uh, your peers or others, not just in higher ed, but just in education, on how to start becoming uh, more interconnected and start seeing inclusion as a growth strategy that actually when we can do that, then all ships will rise as it comes to supporting DE&I programs and things that begin to challenge us to realize that, you know, this, this age of standardization and age of personalization, well, these forces really need each other. Yes. So there's an example uh, we can borrow from the airlines industry. We have orbits uh, where you have competing airlines mm. uh, represented uh, there, you know, with their uh, flights and all that. And they all compete for passengers. They all compete for uh, customers, but often they collaborate because they are not operating in all the markets, in all the segments. And Orbitz as a platform is able to put together uh, flight segments from competing airlines to create a flight schedule. So I think there's an opportunity here in higher education for a third party uh, to create a platform where uh, multiple universities can uh, you know, participate and the third party can create learning pathways uh, that would allow uh, students to really get where they want to be. Uh, and that would lead to more personalization as well. Well, and just so you know, uh, Kashal, at, at, here at GLLG, our leadership in the age of personalization platform actually offers a consortium uh, across healthcare, corporate, and higher ed. So uh, we got to talk later about how we get you involved because okay. I couldn't agree with you more. And part of what we're seeing, and again, we're early on, is that everybody knows the need to be more interconnected, but yet this word how gets in the way when it's it's become more obvious than ever before. But when we've become so comfortable staying in our designated lanes, uh, crossing those lanes almost makes people feel that they have to ask permission. How do we get beyond that? Great questions, uh, Glenn. Uh, so let's, let's look at the, uh, the basic human nature. 
we tend to be uh, very comfortable in our comfort zone. So there's a lot of inertia to be in our comfort zone. And what we tend to do is uh, we tend to maximize our utility function. Uh, and if we assign more value to the status quo or to our comfort zone, uh, we can never move out of that, you know, because that's what we value the most. Uh, however, uh, the events of last year uh, has gone ahead of us, and uh, this uh, comfort zone is no longer an optional state that we can be in. So that option is gone now. Uh, we have to now do something. Otherwise, we will not be uh, sitting where we are right now. <laughs> so, so the uh, and the administrators all recognize this. They all recognize that you know status quo is is simply untenable, and and therefore they are trying to form alliances. You know, I just give you an example of University of Wisconsin system, uh, and so uh, uh, you know uh, companies are now collaborating with universities. You know, uh, you have heard of uh, the, the example of uh, the uh, Starbucks uh, program where they pay up to 100% tuition uh, to uh, the students, uh, their employees who are enrolled uh, at Arizona State University. Yeah. Uh, so that's a great partnership, breaking silos uh, and working together. Uh, now, uh, with Google now getting into higher education and training, uh, the landscape will see a lot of disruption. And so we will see more and more of these alliances being formed in the future. Very good. So uh, again, I think this, this might uh, be an uncomfortable question, but I think it's yeah. one that everyone's thinking about, but does not dare to talk about. Uh, how do we get those in higher education uh, to get out of their comfort zone? Especially when you consider that when we talk about the forces of standardization and personalization, uh, many of those people, like myself, right? I was born in the age of standardization. That's why I, I, I've created this platform around uh, finding balance with personalization. But the students are the ones that get the need for personalization. So in many respects, uh, and I'm not saying this is the case uh, at the Lubar School, it's just that across higher ed, uh, those that are running higher ed seem to be the one that are uncomfortable with discomfort, while their students are the ones that are very comfortable with it. <laughs> Any thoughts? Yeah, yeah. So that's what I, I kind of mentioned that uh, that higher education admit, administrators absolutely have no option now to be in status quo. So whether they like it or not, uh, the events are forcing them to move uh, and 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 move towards uh, or be a agent of change. It's 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 not that they really want to be in their comfort zone. They cannot afford to be. There's that's not an option anymore. Yeah. Now, of course, uh, you know many of the higher education leaders uh, uh, there had their education and training um, many many years back. Uh, things were very different, uh, uh, and things are very different now. Uh, again, uh, empathy is very important uh, in, in this to see from the point of students. And, uh, and, uh, and so I guess training uh, is equally important that the higher education leaders, uh, they, they undertake professional development. 
mm-hmm. uh, to uh, to de- to understand change management, to understand uh, you know emotional intelligence, empathy, uh, and these are some of the things that they can do uh, to to kind of uh, move in in the right direction. If they don't do it, as I said, uh, status quo is not an option. They will be forced out of their position. Thank you for being so direct. Kashal, it's inspiring. Scott, where are we right now? What, what, what are we not talking about or what have we missed? Um, I don't think we've missed anything, but I think, um, I, I think the timing is great, Glenn. And, and Kashal, thank you very much for these, these ideas. I think it's important maybe to just have an observation and, and I can throw that back to you, Kashal, to see if it's in line with kind of what you're thinking. Um, you know, you, you talked about sort of your approach towards leadership and what you're trying to do in, in terms of meeting the moment, right, and meeting the people. Um, <clears throat> I like to sort of hear a lot of the different ways that you operate, because then I like to take that and say, what's the real motive? What's the real thing? What is the fuel behind Kashal's approach? And I think one of the things that, that I'm observing is your, how you activate the idea of interconnectedness. Now, Glenn and I have talked a lot about interconnectedness uh, as, as a key part of the, the age of personalization. And I know you and Glenn have talked about that as well. So let's think about that, right? Interconnectedness, the way it's operationalized normally, right? Outside of your program, for example, not your program, outside of it, is um, interconnectedness is something we espouse in order to better know the others, right? Know our employees better, know our customers better. Let's connect so I can know you better. And then I can put you to work better. And then I can make you happier. And then I can make you better products. That's kind of the standard version of interconnectedness. What I like, Glenn, is what Kashal's doing with interconnectedness and moving it from standardization approach of interconnectedness to a personalization approach. And what you're doing, and it's a, the proof is in the pudding, the way you talk, you're using interconnectedness as a vehicle to know a new self, right? Mm-hmm. You're not using it as a way to connect to others as the operation. The operation is interconnectivity is a way to better to, to know a new self, a new version of you. That's a version of you that's not static. That's not who your personality test says you are. That's not what your grades in high school or college say you are, right? But it's who you are always becoming. You're becoming different every day. You do something different every day. So what I like about your interconnectivity is that rather looking to see how do, who are these people and how do I connect to them so I can connect with them? You're actually saying, no, how do I connect with these other people? So I can be interconnected so I can know a different self for me. So I can be not just casual, but I can be the dean of this business school. So I can act on behalf of and think as a species or as a program at a meta level that's far bigger than your own consciousness. And so I just want to say I really appreciate that because ultimately what you're saying is interconnectedness is knowing the other to know a different version of oneself because by doing that and only by doing that is how you do what you started off with solving for the greater good. That's what I see in you. Does that make sense? Is that what you're operationalizing? Are you, are you basically using interconnectivity to better know oneself so that one's full organism and, co- and organization can basically be better of, of essentially aligned and, and, and knowledgeable selves? Yes. Yeah, so uh, feedback from others is very important to me. Uh, in my own uh, personal and professional growth. And by having these networks, I, I'm able to see from the interactions uh, what are the areas that I need to work on. 
and what are the areas where we lack uh, as a as a as a school for example and so the interconnectedness helps us evolve uh, you know in a, in a positive direction uh, to meet the uh, challenges of the future so uh, you have uh, kind of rightly put uh, scott that uh, uh, for me interconnectedness means also kind of learning from others and trying to better self. Wow. And guys, what, what I love about this is that this takes us to where I think we're all wanting to go is in this mode of reinvention, in this mo mode of uh, understanding what leadership really means in this uh, search uh, for uh new opportunities and the abundance that's right before us as we are all in this uh this phase of transformation is that interconnectedness is helping discover capacity and capabilities that we've never activated before stuff that's not in your lane right <laughs> right so get out of your lane <laughs> which which and i love for you to react to this Kashul, in a moment. And, and what's the power of that is that when standardization defines how we should do things, you could begin to understand why uh, the innate capacities of people are rarely discovered because they're, they're doing what they've been told to do inside the box they've been given when we should have no box so that we can continue to explore, discover, and recognize that those disconnected parts should have been connected to begin with. I, I, I totally agree. Uh, in fact, uh, there is a, a, a author called Nathan Grav, and he has coined the word integrated student. Mm. So typically what happens is that uh, uh, in, uh, in a traditional uh, uh, advising environment, uh, we kind of have different units of the university deal with different facets of a student's life. So, for example, a student may have uh, academic needs, financial needs, uh, may have, uh, uh, you know, personal needs uh, uh, and, and, uh, and social needs, etc. Uh, and uh, uh, the way we advise students now is that uh, uh, you know, we have the academic advisor talk about uh, academics with, with the student. Then we have a advisor from residence hall talk about housing and other issues. Then somebody from financial aid office would talk about financial aid to those to that student. So these are all totally disconnected. And uh, uh, with the notion of having this uh, integrated student, uh, the idea is, can we do holistic advising? to mm. students that is if we can have all these people together in a team working together and advising them at the same time that may yield better results so that is you can see the interconnection uh, if we leverage these interconnections uh, we can do a better job uh, in ensuring student success in fact this has been recognized in higher education and many universities including uh, uh, mine uh, we are now for at least students at risk. Uh, we are. We have a team uh, uh, of people, you know, that includes academic advisors, 
that includes financial aid folks, that include career advisors, they all, and health, mental health advisors, they all, uh, uh, everyone comes together as a team to help students at risk. Uh, so that's the approach taken. But in the ultimate case of personalization would be that uh, we, we kind of offer the services to all the students. That is, uh, every student has individual needs. Uh, and if we can pull together a team that advises uh, each and every student in the university, that would be the uh, ultimate <laughs> case of personalization. Wow. Powerful. Power. And so I was going to ask you this question. I'm going to still ask it, but maybe in a different way. Um, how, where, do, how, where do students today, do you believe, Kashal, where do they feel most connected and least connected, knowing that you're on a path forward to make sure that they all feel fully connected. But where do you think they feel the most and the least right now? So it, it depends on students to students. It's very hard to generalize that way, but I can sure. say that, especially with, with the uh, onset of the pandemic, uh, students feel very uh, um, socially not connected to their peers. First of all, they, they miss that interaction. Uh, and some of them even miss the uh, in-person interaction uh, with uh, their uh, professors. Uh, they certainly miss going out with their project team partners for a coffee in the cafeteria or uh, going to the gym, uh, university gym, and doing the workout. So all those immersive, deeply immersive activities uh, that uh, uh, a university typically provides, they miss that a lot. Uh, uh, again, it's hard to generalize, but these are some of the uh, trends that we see. Sure. Uh, again, different students uh, react differently. Uh, some students are fine with online, and they can be, uh, you know, at their, in their hometown and attend the university. That's fine uh, for them. But others really are yearning for those uh, uh, immersive experiences that uh, uh, the uh, university would typically offer. So. How could someone partner with you and your institution, Kashal? How can they partner with you? So are you talking about companies or? Yeah, uh, industries, industries, okay. or maybe other uh, institutions that are maybe going oh, through like-minded challenges. I mean, okay, is, okay. That, is that something that you're seeking? Or, Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, please so, elaborate how, how someone yeah, can partner with can, uh, we, we always uh, uh, seek uh, uh, philanthropic gifts from people, from partners. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of given. Uh, we even take bitcoins. <laughs> no kidding. And, and we can sell windows and doors as well in <laughs> to partners. Uh, but uh, uh, in all seriousness, I, I think what they can, uh, what we are seeking for is. Uh, better opportunities for our students, you know, in terms of internships, in terms of uh, full-time employments uh, for our students. So that's an area that we are constantly seeking industry partners. Uh, we are seeking industry partners for, uh, for uh, uh, experiential learning opportunities uh, for our students. Uh, and uh, we are seeking industry partners, uh, you know, for, for collaboration, uh, for, uh, you know, like if we can have a deal uh, that Arizona State has with Starbucks, uh, if we have a similar deal with some some other company, would be we would be delighted. Uh, all our 
uh, enrollment issues will be solved and <laughs> we would not have to worry about anything. Sure. Uh, that's another area I think uh, we can partner. And then, of course, if uh, industry uh, companies can send their employees for further education, for uh, for advanced degrees sure. uh, to our insti institution, I think that's another area that we look for partnership. But let's shift gears now to this topic of transformation, and then we'll then we'll uh, then we'll close. Uh, this I've loved this this conversation, Scott. It 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 just brings the, all of the variables involved in how to find that right balance between standardization and personalization, doesn't it, Scott? Yeah, right. And this is the this is the great moment then to do that shift because if we if we're if we've kind of been thinking about the interconnectedness and actually seeing the way that Kashul's uh, activating that, um, it makes sense now that we we've, we've sort of seen the the work or behind the scene. Let's see what what does it do, right? What is the transformation and what is the, the transformation that's coming that we don't see yet? I think that's the question. That, <laughs> Kashul, what do you think? Yeah. So at least I can speak. Uh for business education, because I'm closely associated with that. So what we are going to see is that uh, we'll see uh, uh, higher education as a collection of uh, uh, in-person and virtual interactions. Uh, that's how the higher education would be defined in the future. Uh, it will be, uh, it will bring uh, uh, the physical network and the uh, digital network together uh, in, or in some combination uh, to connect uh, uh, students uh, to, uh, to instructors and courses, to, to staff. Uh, so that's, that's is happening. In some cases, uh, we will find the physical network to be a, a better vehicle uh, for, some, for delivering some experiences for some uh, other types of experience, we would see digital networks being uh, very appropriate. So we will see that uh, the merging and the connection between physical and digital networks. Um, in terms of programming, uh, uh, of course, we are now seeing a plethora of uh, online programs. In fact, we are now launching an online MBA uh, after many years. Uh, uh, you know, we had to uh, you know, get the buy-in of faculty. And there were some faculty members who uh, had uh, questioned the efficacy, uh, the eff effectiveness of learning uh, the, in the online mode, but they were all forced to uh, uh, do online teaching uh, uh, because of pandemic in last year. Mm -hmm. So the attitudes are changing. And so we will see more and more of these uh, online programs appearing. Now, these online programs uh, would be suitable uh, uh, or would be a good fit for students who are working full time uh, and who want to kind of uh, get uh, uh, you know some additional uh, credentials uh, that would help them move uh, up uh, in their job in their yep. companies. Mm -hmm. uh, then, of course, you will have uh, programs, in-person programs that offers. Uh, uh, immersive experiences, you know, deep immersive experiences. And of course, uh, students would have to pay a premium for that uh, to get the, those immersive experiences. And then there'll be something in between that you will have <laughs> online programs with some hybrid, uh, with some in-person interaction components. And that the, the cost wise, it would be somewhere between a fully immersive program and fully online program. <laughs> so we will see that. Uh, in terms of uh, learning, uh, we will see more uh, self-paced learning, 
which will harness the power of analytics uh, to kind of uh, uh, present to the learner uh, opportunities for learning. You know, so as an example, uh, a student may be uh, given a set of math problems uh, uh, using a software. A software may provide those math problems, and the students may be making mistakes, uh, errors. And, uh, and so what happens is the, the platform, the, the software uh, is able to analyze uh, where, there's a, uh, uh, where there's a problem with student understanding and may then try to have problems, offer problems that would help the students uh, get over that, uh, that uh, lack of understanding that the student has. So once the student masters uh, th this class of problems, then the software can uh, provide uh, additional problems in different areas. So it kind of evolves and, and the pace is uh, at, at the pace of the, the ability of students to learn. And this in fact is uh, something that Khan Academy has adopted and for high schools and all that, you will see that happening. Then we will see uh, um, uh, what is called uh, 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 Professor Mohanbir Sahani from uh, the Kellogg School at Northwestern has coined a Netflix for learning, the term. And what that means is that uh, we will have a repository of all the uh, learning objects uh, and, and uh, the software uh, through data analytics will, will find what are the gaps in the learning profile of a learner. And then we'll be able to offer suggestions on what courses to take and what what content to consume so that is going to happen uh, in the future so the net netflix for learning and then of course uh, with microsoft and others now moving into this uh, micro credentials and certificate space uh, we will see lot lot more students uh, trying to uh, you know uh, uh, take micro credentials certificate badges uh, instead of a full-fledged degree programs, uh, they just need enough knowledge that they need. Uh, so suppose they have a, a path, they want to be a digital marketeer. So they just want to take those courses only that will prepare them for that role yeah. and nothing more. And so we would have these uh, uh, certificates and badges uh, available uh, uh, from not only universities, but also from uh, companies like Microsoft through LinkedIn or through uh, uh, you know uh, other other you know uh, companies, uh, uh, Google uh, for example, which has three certificates now yeah. that they have just offered in project management, uh, in uh, in uh, user uh, experience, uh, and also in analytics. So I think those kind of certificates will gain a lot of traction in the marketplace. So these are some of the innovations we are going to see in the future. Amazing to think of, of what you just said that was accelerated by a pandemic. And I've got to believe that these things were well in the works before the pandemic hit. But my goodness, um, I wish I would have had that software to help me with my understanding. I mean, my goodness. <laughs> so, let, so let me ask you this question and, yeah. we'll, and then we'll start closing and Scott, I'll come to you after this. Okay. What transformations, Kaushal, do you fear the most for their potential disruption? So I fear uh, companies like Google, LinkedIn, 
entering the higher education space in a big way and finding a lot of traction in the marketplace. And, and that's the biggest fear. So we really need to shape up the universities and higher education system uh, to offer uh, products and services uh, that create a lot more value than what companies currently are offering. Yeah, it's interesting. I Again, I'm not posing a, a point of view, but what I'm hearing is a different form of standardization in higher education as corporations start assuming an identity of an educator. What do you think about that, Scott? Um, yeah, it has me kind of moving all around. I think if you don't mind, I'd like to stay right in this moment. I mean, uh, I can totally, I'm excited about how I'm seeing the thoughtfulness that's gone into expanding the modalities, not just for students, but that helps instructors of various types, depending on what they're trying to deliver, um, where they are in life, uh, taking care of a parent, taking care of a kid, uh, susceptible to a pandemic, let alone needing to be in a classroom. Uh, so I like this, um, you know, the, basically saying by, by loosening the modality, so offering a, a spectrum of everything from just straight up online, like your new MBA, all the way to something that's actually not even just like the old school classroom. It's deeper, some sort of deeper immersion. And, and I can see how that opens up the access to a lot of people to maybe come in. And the other side of that that I don't want to lose is that when you start talking about micro, like credentials or the micro programs, I think that we should, we should listen to you when you're talking about this and we should watch your experiments with this because Another thing that we're saying, essentially what you're saying is that maybe there's something besides a major that maybe you want, and maybe you don't need to come to the university for a major. Maybe you just want to come for this badge, for this credential, and maybe by opening up our space to modalities as well as outcomes, maybe we are opening some, some, some new space in the educational sector. Now comes the caveat, the catch. I'm nervous. Because then we started talking about how the Netflix of repository, the repository, the Netflix repository of, of knowledge that we can go in. And, and then what got me nervous wasn't that it's out there, but that there's an algorithm being created to actually help get me to it, just like Google is. So I'm saying it's cool. But we also know Google isn't going to get me to every site. And it's going to definitely not get me to the sites that really don't have the economic power to put them in front of me. My question to you, to, to close my questioning parts, I have a final observation, but the question is, I can see how this mixed modality approach for the professor and for the student could be a great access um, uh, uh, event, right, in terms of opening it. Can we for a second, and maybe it's something for another day, what are you most worried about in terms of these, you know, recreate that artificial intelligence and that algorithm to actually curate that collection? Um, one thing that we do know is that if we create it, even if it is an artificial intelligence or neural network, it is going to reproduce the same inequalities that we already have that are so deep embedded that we can't even articulate them fully. What, what might be a concern that you might have with this new approach? It gives us access, but what are other ways that it might actually reduce um, access? Is there a possibility there? Is there a way that maybe there's a, there's, we're gonna reinforce inequalities with this approach? I'm not sure. So I, I, don't, I don't think so. The reason is because when we leverage artificial intelligence and, uh, and the power of analytics, uh, we are customizing uh, a learning experience 
for an individual, for a person. And so we, we kind of, uh, kind of mine into the history of learning of an individual and see where the gaps are. So, and the system is then able to find uh, and recommend uh, uh, learning objects uh, for this particular person. So it's highly personalized. So when things are highly personalized, I don't think it kind of leads to inequality or it leads to that. I think it's the other way around. It empowers uh, someone to, to uh, compete in the marketplace. That is my thinking. I like it. Thank you for, for responding to that. It's just, yeah, it's, yeah. it's definitely an idea that's not cooked in my head fully. And I needed to hear a little bit from your perspective to help me sort of feed that thought. So, so, so as we close, it's clear that interconnectedness, uh, recognition of the transformation that's happening all around us. And from, from these two kind of spheres, it's clear that we're all learning to navigate a new way to learn, work, and lead. What are your final thoughts about the conversation today, Kashal? And, and what can you leave our audience with? Yeah, so uh, I kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, when I agreed to this interview, I, I started thinking about personalization. I had not really given much thought to personalization before. So I would say that, uh, uh, in fact, uh, this interview allowed me uh, to kind of uh, reflect on the notions uh, related to personalization and interconnectedness uh, and how we could apply uh, these uh, notions in the higher education space. So, so I think I thank you for that, uh, for, uh, for forcing me to kind of think and reflect a little bit. But I must say that, you know, the future is going to be uh, of, of that of an interconnected world where uh, we will see students uh, uh, being lifelong learners. You know, that's the notion uh, that is now uh, seen everywhere that, you know, they will consume some content, they'll go back to work, and they, when they kind of move to the next job or in preparation for the next job, they can, they'll come back again and they will consume some more content relevant for their next job. And, uh, and that's how it's going to progress. So we would need to be prepared to provide uh, uh, full service to our students, just like you know, in the case of auto dealers, uh, once they sell the car, uh, the, the folks come back, you know, for maintenance on a regular basis or for getting things fixed. Yeah. I think universities would also need to do that. Up, once students graduate, uh, we need to have enough offerings, you know, uh, for credit, not for credit, uh, micro credentials, all kinds of offerings so that uh, the alums keep coming back and uh, taking uh, courses and uh, learning, doing learning so that they are better prepared for their next job. Kashal, your, your insights are incredible. And uh, I'm just gonna throw this out because I know that we have not talked about it and you're not, I'm not asking you to agree to it, but at least I want you to know that I wanna offer on air today for you to be a speaker at our 2021 summit. Uh, your humility, uh, your, your dignity, your clear understanding of what's happening in the world around us, is just impressive. Um, but I want to comment on a couple things. Uh, and you made 
light of it. We're all teachers and students in today's age of personalization. This personalization outbreak was long overdue. And what we are really talking about um, is about providing people options so that we don't put them in boxes, so that we don't limit their growth and development. But what we're also talking about is making sure, I mean, and you said it in such a classy way, um, that this conversation actually brought some perspective to you. And I think that what we're all in search of, that maybe we all don't want to admit, is that because we're teachers and students, we must be open-minded to learn. I mean, we're going, you talk about the need for education right now. It's at a premium. There's so much we need to learn, not just about ourselves, but how we work, lead, learn, and live. And if we don't take the time to do that, this is why the extremes of standardization and personalization have prevailed. And this is what's slowing progress down because the easiest thing to do when you're uncomfortable is to react. And how do we react? To a place that gives us comfort, not necessarily to a place that allows us to be part of the solution. Not because people don't want that. Maybe they just don't know how. But And that's where we go to the extreme. So thank you for enlightening us today, whether you knew this or not, Kashel, of how to find the right balance. Because we're all teachers and students in interconnectedness, in the understanding that we can no longer uh, play in the sandbox of, sandbox of status quo. It's just something that we all need to not just expect, but respect. Any final comments, Scott, as we close? Yeah, I want to pick one more apple from this tree of wisdom over here. Uh, <laughs> um, and here it is. Let's remember this, Glenn. Now, Kasha, you're, 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 there's something that you left on the table in the beginning that that's what I want to end with. And it goes like this. You basically, as a business-oriented, business school, B-school dean, right? Somebody that's thinking on that level in that sort of subcategory of academia, you you understand and promote the power of ritual over the power of metrics. Now, I know you use metrics and I know that's part of your success and it's not saying that you don't use it. But when you start talking about where do we start? How do you do it? What is your ethos? What's your signature approach towards running a B-school? You led with ritual, not metrics. And your ritual is the morning tea. And, and the reason why I wanted to come back to this, right, is that I just was putting here is that that morning tea, as you described it, when we said, why do you need morning tea? Is it to wake up? No, it's not to wake up. It's to connect. It's to give you time to prepare your interconnected self, right? It's like Superman going into the phone booth, except instead of turning on and putting on a cape, you're putting in some caffeine and you're drinking a nice steady uh, tea. Now, here's the deal. I think that that's an important lesson that a lot of us, whether we're leaders or whether we're sort of middle leaders or whether we're not even leaders in our org at all. And that is in order to interconnect. And this is an irony. It's, it's ironic that this is the case, but let's remember that this is a lesson that you're teaching us today. In order for us to connect and be an interconnected soul, one who is looking to know one's new self as well through the, through the engagement with others, we have to schedule and value time to compress, to think, 
to be ourselves, to be personal, right? To personalize, to go in, right? In order to go big and out and interconnect, we have to schedule that time to be more, much more powerful. And so, so ultimately, I appreciate that part of the lesson because I think it would be lost on most of us if we just think of you as basically somebody that wears the cape all the time, right? Because you do wear the cape most of the time when people see you. But I thank you for your vulnerability and sharing that in order to wear that cape, you need a ritual. You need something that's just for you that helps you sort of recalculate and recalibrate who you are. Because one thinks that if you're spending your entire day interconnecting with others, right, you're going to need a time to sort of take that feedback as you described it back so that you can go back to that next cup of tea and amp it up and bring in a new level. So I can't wait to hear your ideas at the summit, <laughs> Superman. <laughs> yeah, Scott, very well put. Uh, I must say that the the creative ideas that I get, uh, mostly when I have the, the, the cup of tea in the morning, uh, uh, that's when I am able to, to really think well. <laughs> it's like your reboot. You're taking yeah. all of that interconnection yes. from the day before, yes. and you're trying to figure out, so now how do I redo this today? Yes. And, and, and that is a very internal moment. But isn't that funny that even when you go internal, your motivation yes. Yes. is to get external. That's your magic, dude. Thank you, Scott. <laughs> you, you, you can see the power of Scott Lacey right there. That was, my power. That was, that was Cashel's power. I'm, I'm just reporting the news. I'm the reporter. He, that's the power over there. You know what it is? This is why we all need each other. And I'll close with that. And remember, when you lead in the age of personalization, you will see things that others don't. Do what others won't and keep pushing when prudence says quit. Thank you very much, Kasha. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Glenn. Thank you, Scott. Really appreciate Thank you very much. That. Thank you. This conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Personalization Outbreak. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. If you enjoyed the content, visit ageofpersonalization.com to check out our free streaming video series and learn how to get involved in the movement. I'm Glenn Yopis. I wish you a good day. And remember, without strategy, change is merely substitution, not evolution.